Welcome to the Open Adoption Project. This is episode 60. We're the Nelsons. I'm Lynette. And I'm Sean. In this episode, we learn from a Peruvian adoptee named Maria Trimble. She is a licensed mental health counselor and a licensed professional counselor. I really enjoyed listening to this episode, uh, this conversation with Maria and Lynette, and there's a lot of really great things that she includes. Yeah, she talks a lot about trauma, the transition of moving to the United States from Peru when she was a small child, and the impact that therapy can have on helping with coping with both trauma and transitions, especially for adoptees. You can learn more about Maria on her website, hikingtheheart.com, where she provides different professional services for adoptees, both adults and adolescents. Yes, and she also provides consultations for adoptive parents and adoption professionals. And she's really just wonderful to talk to. We're really excited to jump into this episode. podcast with Maria. Maria, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. To start off, can we have you tell us a bit about who you are, what you enjoy doing? Yeah, um, so I'm Maria Trimble. I'm a licensed therapist. Um, some of my hobbies include hiking, which is how I named my practice, right? Hiking the heart. Um, and lately biking, and I like reading and cooking. So fun. It's wonderful. And where about do you live? Right now, I am located in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Awesome. All right. So you are an adoptee. Can you go ahead and share your adoption story with us? Whatever you'd like to share. Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's it's so interesting when you hear this big question. You're like, oh, you know, what do I share? There's so much that's happened sometimes um, within the story. Um, but I, you know, I was born in uh, Cusco, Peru and adopted around two and a half years of age. I was adopted with my biological sibling and a family from New York um, adopted us. And I lived in uh, upstate New York for a few years up until around seven years old. But then we, uh, my family moved to Central Florida and that's where I was raised. Um, I grew up in Central Florida for the most part and um, went to school there. And I would say like around that time, I would have like a pretty average American life. I didn't really think about adoption or being an adoptee. That wasn't like, yes, I thought about looking different, but that necessarily wasn't like attached to being adopted. Um, and then, yeah, I, you know, went to went to school and um, started a family of my own. And I would say that is some of the time that I started to have more thoughts of like what it means to be an adoptee, what it means to be a mother was like a huge thing for me as I became a mother myself. Um, and that's what started some of my search and reunion process as I got older. Um, and I am in um, reunification with my biological family. I uh, found them in 2019, the end of 2019. Oh, that's amazing. How cool. So you were adopted when you were two and a half, you said. Mm -hmm. Do you remember a time before you were adopted? Right. No. I, so I have yeah. no memories of um, leaving um, Peru and then like moving to the United States. 
However, there are stories and these are things that I had heard over the years, but like never really thought too much about until I got older because there wasn't enough to eat for me and my sibling. Like I would hoard food. So my adoptive parents would find like random food in my closet and they would ask me, you know, why do you have this? And I would say in Spanish, you know, it's going to run out. Um, Like I just didn't quite still understand this idea that I'm adopted. Right. So, and that, you know, was a question people ask me a lot, like, um, were you ever sat down and told you were adopted? Like who told you? And I, and I, the, because I was a little bit older, like a toddler, no one told me, I just knew like there was never this sit down talk. And, and also like, I looked very different than my adoptive parents. Um, they're white and I am clearly not. (laughs) So, um, I never had that discussion with them. And so did they speak Spanish? Did that no. factor in? No. Oh, wow. No. So no. that must have been a really big transition. Wow. It was really, really big. Um, and again, like, because it wasn't seen as big, right? Yeah. It's just sort of like, I remember my adoptive parents um, saying that their social workers at their adoption agencies were like, just treat it like a normal, like, chi- like child, pretty much. Like, oh, just pretend. Like, she'll learn English. Just keep speaking to her in English. There wasn't this encouragement to develop my language or to for them to learn Spanish to help me along. Um, it was just sort of like, oh, just just keep keep going, just pretend, you know, and then she'll, like Maria will just like, she'll integrate, right, um, it, within. And, um, and I did, right, I did. But with that comes a lot of loss. Yeah. And, you know, like, kind of like what we're talking about right now is like, ooh, like, ooh, there's a lot of missed stuff, right, yes. within that. Um, so, yeah, it, now when I think about it, it's very difficult, right? And these are yeah. some hard conversations I've had with my adoptive parents about it. Um, but in the moment, I think, you know, they were just trying their best to yeah. sort of like love on me the best way. And they're looking to the professionals and this is what the professionals are saying. So yeah. they they did what they were told. Interesting. So do you have other siblings that you grew up with who were either biological children of your adopted parents or also adopted besides your sibling that you were adopted with? Yeah, no. So um, just me and my sibling and um, my adoptive parents adopted because they couldn't conceive. So that was the reason they wanted to grow their family. So what have your experiences been like with reunion, with finding your birth family? It is difficult. It's a roller coaster. Um, I think I, you know, when I went into it, there's just so much excitement and like, I want to know who I am, who I come from. And that's really like has its joyous moments. But at the same time, I didn't understand, even with everyone telling me it's a lot, right? Uh Um, How difficult it is to be in reunion um and I think too like just like the language barrier the space barrier Mm -hmm. um we've just missed out on each other's lives so much having a big family so my biological family is really large and I've only met my uh, maternal side so there's still like a whole nother reunion almost for me awaiting because I know I want to one day look for my um father's side but it's just it, because I've already experienced the reunion of my my maternal side. It's just like I know I have to be like sort of in a place where I can just be ready. And I'll put this in quotes like ready because I don't know if you're ever really ready for some of this. Um, 
but yeah, it's a roller coaster. I'm oldest of seven kids. So understanding that too, that, you know, it's more than reuniting with your biological mother or father. It's like Mm -hmm. reuniting with your siblings and aunties and uncles and Ah. cousins. And um, they all want to talk to you, you know, so. Which is amazing. But yeah, so do you speak Spanish now? Do you have someone translate or how does that work? Uh, so I've, I've studied Spanish in school, you yeah. know, um, both in high school and in college, I would say I'm like, okay, I'm getting better yeah. at it, but there is a part of me that's like, it's very emotional learning this language. Yeah. Um, so sometimes, you know, and it's, it's really hard <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I t- tend to shy, sometimes shy away from things that cause like a little bit of distress. So, um, over the years it it's gotten better, but now I just throw myself in. So I've taken some tutoring and I just figure like, what better way to just do it? Like, I'm going to mess up, you know? And my, and also like my biological family expects me to sort of mess up and they kind of, they're very gentle with it. Um, And I ask them to speak slower, you know? And so we've kind of been able, we've been able to uh, build that relationship up where I can feel comfortable not knowing words or like Google translating. I use Google translate a lot. Um, and yeah, so it's getting better, but it's still, it's not great. <laughs> yeah. That's a challenge. So how did you find your family? Yeah. So that was like a process, but ultimately Facebook, that's, that's how I found my family. So because of when my, my adoption took place in 91, um, some of my um, paperwork wasn't, uh, how, how do I want to say this? It's legal, but I would say that it was misguided or coerced in a sense. Like there mm-hmm. is like some things I have found out about my adoption that just unethical, really, really hard. Um, yeah. which is really sad. Yeah. Right. And hard to like sort of to, to deal with and to like bring into your story. Yeah. Um, so I had another birth certificate made for my adoption, which I guess at that time was very common in Peru, but it had very little information. And so when I finally found my original birth certificate, um, and that was with the help of finding other Peruvian adoptees. So I would say that community in this aspect really, really helped me because even though I might have met another person that was adopted, finding Peruvian adoptees, like adoptees from my specific country, was uh, just a huge thing in my life. And I learned so much from them. And through them, they were encouraging me, like, if you really want to look, you know, we can help you. Because for the most part, my documents are all in Spanish. And I, while I would look at them, like I didn't understand everything, I didn't know what all the numbers meant, right? But here's a group of people that are saying, we found our family, we can help you. So um, them finding my original birth certificate, oh, it opened up so much more information. I found my half sister through Facebook um, because in Peru, um, the older people, they don't have Facebook. They're not going online. It's the younger people, right? So I found my half sister. And as soon as I saw her, I was like, "This this is my sister. Yeah. And then came the part of reaching out, right? So I just sent her a Facebook message and said, I think I'm your sister. And she knew immediately who I was. So, wow. so she crazy. knew, she knew that you were adopted and that you were, adopted. Knew. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Wow. Well, that's a really incredible story. So what advice would you give to other adoptees who are trying to find their first families and trying to make those connections? Mm -hmm. yeah. I love this question. I would say like, go for it. I know sometimes there's a lot of like what ifs and doubts, um, but don't give up is one of the advice, like something I would say, don't give up. And then also like knowing your history is so important. And I, I would encourage any adoptee to want to know their history and it's, it's their right to know it. Building relationships is different. So you don't necessarily have to build a relationship with your biological family you know, but knowing your history, you know, like I, I would just always encourage any adoptee to go down that path. I love that. Yeah. So growing up, you said that adoption really didn't factor in to your thoughts very often. Um, is there anything that you did struggle with regarding adoption or that you wish other people understood? Yeah. Okay, well, I would say like currently, you know, or like even this past few years, like mental health, right, um, is something I think I've always struggled with, but never quite had help in yeah. or like understanding, like, how does this factor into like, what's going on in my life, like the problems mm -hmm. I have going on in my life, yeah. you know, um, so yeah, becoming a mother myself really just opened up so much. And so many questions, um, even though I had already been to grad school at this point, I had already been to grad school and like doing supervision to become a licensed therapist. And that still, even in grad school, like adoption, family separation, these things aren't talked about um, in regards to like, how do we help? Yeah. Right. But, but at the same time, I would see most of my clients did have some sort of either family separation or they were adopted. And I was like, come on, there's got to be like a correlation or, you know, there's something going on here. Um, and so that's something like I would say I will always continue struggling with when we talk about trauma um, and seeing family separation as a trauma. Um, it's something that I will always, always have to deal with. But like I finally feel in the place to feel comfortable talking about it. I went to, I've been to therapy, like as for myself to just really um, understand what it's like, you know, to give this sort of like vulnerable information to someone else and like, here, yeah, <laughs> you know, um, and how that's like so helpful when we're talking about adoption issues in general. Um, but yeah, so mental health, definitely is something I currently still, I will say always and well, I still struggle with and will I not always continue like just working on. I think that's so important. So how do you feel like the adoption community can better support adoptees, especially in regards to mental health and helping mm -hmm. them have access to that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I honestly like the adoption community, I think is, has been really wonderful um, in regards to mental health and like normalizing um, the things that we go through and validating what are the challenges that we face? I think creating allies outside of the adoption community is I, the next step. Um, when we talk to people in our circles um, about what the struggle is for an adoptee, you know, I think we are now opening up the door for other people outside the adoption community to get it. Because I don't know if this has been your experience, but like usually when I'm in these circles, people are like, yeah, yeah, like I think the same thing. And it's now this step of getting everyone else to see it yes. as well. Yeah, I love that. So you said that while you were in school, 
um, learning yeah. about your trade, about how to help people, that it really you really didn't talk about adoption or family separation and these traumas. And mm -hmm. so do you have any thoughts for how we can better train mental health professionals to help? There needs to definitely be more coursework, right? Yeah. And then I think also acknowledging adoptees as a, um, the leaders, the experts yes. in what this is like, what this feels like, right? Like we're the best ones to um, inform the public on what it's like to be separated and then adopted. Um, and then, you know, depending on the situation, it just, you know, overall, like the lifespan, what we continue to face, we'll have these little triggers here and there, right? I mean, as you get older, you may like reckon with your story and in a different way. And you have these hard conversations with your adoptive parents, with your adoptive families. Um, and some, sometimes you're just not prepared for yes. what's going to happen next, you know? Um, so, yeah, I would say, like, leaning on adoptees, um, knowing that they're the experts. And then, you know, I think, you know, colleges, universities, like, having, um, they're hiring people to talk about this more. Um, and just to acknowledge that it is a trauma to be separated. Yeah. Um, and I know there's so many adoptee researchers out there now. There's like adoptee um, people who are making coursework, you know. So I love that. And I That's like really will always support that. Yes, it's so yeah. exciting. So That's I know amazing. it's out there. So I just hope that people will like start reaching out to them and like including yeah. them in these panels and discussions. That's great. Thank you. So thinking about international adoption, was there anything specific that your adoptive family did to help you connect to your Peruvian heritage? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, no. I that's that's a hard part. Like I was raised colorblind, and really just raised in the sense that like you'll be okay, right? Like we, you were in a situation that you know had little resources, impoverished family. Like your mother put you up for adoption, and now we're here, and you're better, right? You know, and and that's the hard part is that like being better or in a physically like space where there's more resources, better education there. Are, yes. I, I was granted different opportunities than I would have been in Peru, um, but identity culture, like that was something I've always struggled with. And it, and I would say even to this day, like my parents still sort of hold a colorblind mentality and that's really, really hard because um, you can't really change people's perceptions on that. All I could do was change my own. Yeah. Um, and I was like, OK, when I finally got into like my 20s and then now 30s, like I finally just feel more at peace because now I can make these deci decisions for myself. Yeah. Um, but that's something that I always try to connect adoptive parents to is that they need to encourage and put themselves sort of in uncomfortable situations. If your child is from another country, you have to do more than like, oh, well, they're like from this region, like so they're from South America. So we'll just go here. No, you have to really like, oh, my daughter is Guatemala and you have to um, search for Guatemalan communities. Like very, we want to be very specific when it comes to um, that part of the um, identity for an adoptee. Yeah, I think that's great advice. 
So going back to adoption education, what resources do you wish we had for international adoptees and for the families that adopt them to help better cement these connections to their heritage? Right. So this is a question that I had like a hard time. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, like while I'm a big advocate and want to lend my voice, I will say that I haven't, I don't really quite know what is already in place. I know the Hague Convention in like 2000 um, really put in a lot of um, steps for families looking to adopt internationally. Um so I know that there is some like psychoeducation, there is some yes. stuff happening that is different than my, than my adoption that was, you know, back in 1990. Um, but I would say like, I wish that we didn't necessarily have to take the child from this country and bring them somewhere else. Yeah. I would say that, like, you know, I wish that we could find the resources and the supports within their country because that child is losing a lot. Yes. Um, I would encourage, you know, adoptive parents to live in that country for a while, not just go visit to get the kid and bring them home. You know, I would encourage them to really know that when you um, adopt a child from another country, you're adopting like their culture, their heritage, like you really want to um, support all of that development um, and then know too where you lack. Right. And then and just also, like always know that like it's beyond you at this point, like their identity formation is like beyond sometimes what they can give. Yeah. Um, so, again, like I wish that we didn't have to take them out of the country. Um, yeah. But if if that were the case, then, yeah, I would encourage them to live in that country, learn the language, cook the foods at home, like just do a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, I think those are all great thoughts. You hear about so many really unethical and horrible things happening in international adoption. And there's just so many barriers, right? Like language barriers and cultural barriers and there's poverty. And uh, yeah, it it's a huge problem where people are just taken advantage of. And yeah, I think those are great thoughts. So in retrospect, what do you wish your adoptive family or the community that you grew up in knew about the needs of adoptees and trauma? Yeah, I wish I just acknowledged that it was a trauma, to be honest. I think when we acknowledge that there is pain here and it's not all like happy, um, that there's a lot of loss and grief that's going along with adoption. You know, the child is losing a lot. They're losing their family. They're like for international adoption, like they're losing their language um, and they may have access to this later on. But acknowledging that in this moment, this child is going through something traumatic yeah, um, can really be, I think, the first step. Um, what adoptive parents, I wish what my adoptive parents could have done for me, you know, being a little bit older, I knew what was going on, you know, and becoming a mother myself, I see my, she's now three, but two and a half. I was like, oh my gosh, she is so smart. She knows exactly what's going on. And then I put myself and I'm like, wow, little Maria knew exactly. And oh, I feel so sad for her because no one was saying, are you okay? Yeah. Do you feel like you got a lot of people kind of pushing the lucky adoptee narrative on you? Where, yeah. Yes. <laughs> All the time, every day. I mean, still to this day, yeah. you know, people will, and 
So say like, oh, you know, I bet you're like really happy to be here. Yeah. <sighs> you know, and it's just really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult because you don't acknowledge, you know, all the losses with an adoption. Yeah. Um, I've had people say like, oh, wow, that sounds hard. And that's almost like a better response, right? Yeah. Than just like, just focusing on the positive of like, oh, you must be, your parents must be so great. Um, and like, aren't you really happy? Oh, especially with reunion. There's this sense like now that it's like a perfect bow. Oh, you found your family now. Oh, aren't and you so happy? And so it's done and there's no trauma yeah. left. Yeah. And it's like, really no, hard. it's still really hard. <laughs> yeah. Still very difficult. And not a lot of people have to do these things, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty challenging that, that language. And I wish, you know, growing up, people would check in more like, Hey, are you okay? Hey, notice I'm noticing that, um, you know, you seem really sad today. Right. Like even, or even just bringing them or I wish, honestly, my parents would have brought me to a, a therapist early on. Yeah. I didn't have like very extreme behaviors or like, you know, I didn't have like these signs of trauma, but I know I would have benefited from talking to somebody. Absolutely. So do you have any thoughts on finding a good therapist when there might not quite, we might not be quite at that point where there's a lot of education about adoption and trauma? Mm -hmm. um, what advice would you give to find a good fit? Yeah. Uh, so I would say look for a therapist who is trauma-informed, mm -hmm. definitely attachment-informed. Um, I also would say, like, depending on your goals for therapy, like, finding someone who does um, uh, something other than talk therapy. So talk therapy is great. I love talk therapy. I I've done, I've gone to a talk therapist, but doing, like, EMDR, brain spotting, um, those kinds of therapy will, are different. And I, I, I say that to you doing both, right? So I just, I've been a talk therapist. I've gone to talk therapy, but uh, last year I was trained in EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And it has changed my life personally. And then also, you know, I just find that it helps so much with developmental trauma, complex trauma, attachment trauma. Something that like adoptees, we know we have. Yeah. So um, that would be like my advice is, is look for a therapist like that. Awesome. That's great advice. Thank you. I'm really interested in what you're going to say to this. Okay. So do you think that your adoption experiences have influenced your career path? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I've always wanted to be a helper. Yeah. And growing up, that looked very different, different areas. Um but yeah, I, being adopted has really, you know, um, driven me to be helpful slash like, I, I would say I'm a recovering, I call myself a recovering people pleaser, um, right? So um, yeah, but, and I noticed too that this necessarily isn't a bad thing. It's just something quality about me, but I can use it now in my occupation to help others, to really understand how others are, um, what they're feeling, what they're experiencing. Um, and I don't think I would be in this line of work if it wasn't for my adoption, um, especially creating my private practice. Um, I worked with community mental health programs. I worked in schools a lot. Um, but being an adoptee and then also being a therapist, and then I was like, okay, there's like 
so many adoptees slash adoptive parents slash, you know, just mental health in general that need someone with lived experience to really validate the stuff that's going on. Um, and kind of buckling down and just saying, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to like believe in myself, even though rejection is such a big trigger. Um, I was like, no, I can do this, you know? Um, and so being in private practice, like going uh, being in business or like doing this on my own has been a little scary, but I found a community of people and like other adoptee therapists, like, you know, that are doing it. And I'm like, okay, I can do this too. You know, um, just have to believe in myself. That's awesome. I love that. So can you tell us more about your work with psychotherapy, with the adoption community, what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right now I'm doing a lot of individual work, one-on-ones. I'm now starting a support group. Um, I love group therapy. I would say that was something that I really loved when I was working in community, community mental health. Um, and so I'm trying to bring that into the adoptee world because really we just want to belong, right? This feeling of belonging and being connected is so powerful. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm working with so many people one-on-one, -on -one, personally, professionally. And I'm just like, I want to bring you all together. Like, I want you guys to see that, like, you're not crazy. Like, you're literally just handling something that's really tough. And um, having someone be like, me too, can be so powerful. And so I love group work. And so I'm, I, I started a group already, um, but I'm hoping to bring more group work into my practice. And then also I'm hoping to be writing, well, I'm already writing a book um, or it's like a workbook journal um, yes. about reunion. Um, there's cool. little resources. Yeah, there's little resources out there, I think for the reunion process. And it's, you know, not always talked about um, what it's like to be in reunion and like active reunion, right? Like yeah. just ongoing. Um, so, I'm trying to create a workbook around that. That's awesome. What a cool idea. I've never heard of anything like that. That seems like a really helpful resource. Thank you. How cool. Well, we'll make sure that we have your contact information in our show notes. What's your website? And I'll make sure we have that in there. Yeah, www.hikingtheheart.com. Perfect. I've been there. It's a great website. Well, thank you. Is there anything else you want to talk about with the services you provide or anything else? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot yeah. to mention. Yeah, you're I, good. Also, yeah. <laughs> I also do some, con well, I also do consultation work with adoptive families, adoptive parents. Um, it doesn't necessarily look like therapy. So the adoptive parents can be from anywhere. Um, and really, it's just like an individualized look at what's happening, whether that's like in your family or with your adoptee, your child, you know, um, what are you experiencing? So one, I pull in my like professional, like sense of like trauma and like coping skills, like what's in your toolbox, all those, all, all of those things, but also just the personal experience of being right an adoptee and noticing too, that like, there's not a lot of language sometimes, unless we're giving the child the language, you know, or permission to use this language around, around us, um, happening and I think being an older like adopted person I can help fill in some of those gaps and like okay well I remember or I you know work with people who've experienced this you know and um just kind of normalizing that it's okay to reach out for help um and what better person to reach out to help but like an adoptee and someone who's in the mental health field that's amazing yeah I love that you're doing this it's a really important work yeah. very cool 
So what kind of support do you want to see for adoptees in the future? Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I love seeing what people are currently doing. Like there's so many different panels, so many different groups happening. Um, I love that. Um, more supports, I think just getting society or like our community is like more willing to talk about the complexities of adoption. You know, I do acknowledge that people have very great experiences, you know, um, and even in my life, I've, you know, I've shared being raised colorblind and just like having some, like a lot of difficulty around motherhood and, and, and mental health, but I still have very fond memories, right? And, and adoption is just so much, it's very complex, right? So having society, having our communities realize that it's not this black and white thing, you know, it's not good or bad. It's just complex and we need to be able to discuss it. Um, so that's the stuff I would like to see, you know, and I hope that as like I see more professionals, I see more people like talking about it and normalizing it, um, that we can get sort of like the society, the communities around us to just support our voices. Because um, I already see there's so much great stuff happening um, within our adoption communities. I love that. Yeah. So in your experience, what are, I feel like we've talked about this a bit, but what are some additional ways that we can support adoptees, especially maybe focusing on transracial adoptees, international adoptees? How can we better support these adoptees and help them feel more seen? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, beyond like a little bit of professional support, right? Realizing that we can't do everything. Um, bringing them to spaces where they're not the only person of color. That would be my biggest recommendation. Um, acknowledging that when you look around, if your adoptee is the only one of color, that's, you know, that's not gonna be okay in the long run. You know, we, I really would want almost the adoptive family to be like maybe the only white people or the only white, you know, in, in, in the room. Um, just to see what it's like because a lot of adoptees we will find ourselves in spaces and we um that we feel really comfortable and it's mostly white right um because that's a lot of times the way we were raised and then we look around we're like oh I'm not connected to my culture and then here is a little bit of the tension um so yeah that's what I would say like please just step outside your comfort zone and um, be willing to be the only one of your color in the room and, you know, uh, give the adoptee the chance to blend in. That's another thing, Ooh, to blend in. It's very nice for a transracial, transnational adoptees. Um, that feeling sometimes, I know for me, didn't happen until I was like way older to, to wow. blend in and what that was like. That's great, thank you. Um, as a social worker, how have your perceptions of adoption changed over time? Yeah, okay, so, well, I'm trained um, in mental health counseling psychology. So um, I would say it's it's drastically changed, you know, just sharing some of my personal experience, right? Like I didn't even think about it as yeah. part of the reason why I was like stressed about things. And now, you know, going through my programs and then like working within the community, um, I would say it, it's just noticing that we don't always know, you know, why something is happening, but we can have really great guesses. 
Um, and I think just acknowledging that adoption and family separation is a lot of times part of the equation. Um, and so it's my point of view has drastically changed. And sometimes I'm like, oh, this is probably an adoptee issue, right? And being okay with that. And so then, oh my gosh, it's an adoptee. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it's probably just an adoptee issue. I need to work through this. So interesting. So if you could change one thing in the world of adoption, what would you change? To normalize the openness um, of, of adoption, like talking about all of it, right? Not just recognizing the good stuff, recognizing some of the pain, some of the loss, um, encouraging adoptive parents to get therapy first would be a big thing that I would want to change. Like, let's get mental health resources for the adoptive parents too. And even talk about like what um, the reasons they want to adopt, right? Are they ready to parent a child that's experienced a trauma? Um, what are the skills around that parenting a child that's experienced a trauma? Um, so those are big things. So, right, like just changing the language around how we talk about adoption and then also the adoptive parents getting therapy themselves. That's great. Yeah, I think it's kind of crazy how, I mean, you have to jump through a lot of hoops as an adoptive parent to do mm -hmm. it, but there really isn't therapy involved. And of course there should be, that makes so mm -hmm. much sense. That's great advice. Yeah. So talking about how you would change language, I'm really curious, what would you like to change? Oh yeah. Like, so just, um, I think what we talked about earlier, like, um, when someone's sure that they're adopted, you know, uh, having someone say like, oh, tell me more or like, oh, that must have been hard even versus, oh, that's wonderful. It's like, oh, then that makes it seem like I can't tell you the parts that aren't wonderful. Yeah. Right. Um, or maybe this person isn't really wanting to hear from like the actual truth, which a lot of times it's it's hard. Yeah. To, to, to be adopted and sometimes it feels like this like not necessarily a secret but it's like something pretty powerful and when you're sort of normalized to continue to share this piece of information with everybody right a neighbor like this person that person it's just it becomes very trivial when in reality it's actually a trauma I'm sharing my trauma yeah. all the time yeah right um and that can be very difficult so I would love to change that language and from like oh that's wonderful you know to like, oh, that sounds hard. Yeah. So creating more of that psychological safety where mm -hmm. you feel safe talking mm -hmm. about this trauma that you've experienced. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Well, what else would you like to talk about? I feel like I'm still on my journey. I'm learning like more yeah. about myself, like re reunion for me, like it's been almost three years mm -hmm. now, but still feels so new. Yeah. I still, I'm always like, gaining so much from the adoption community. Um, I'm always still like checking in with myself. Like, do I believe something different now? Like, and I want to have that growth mindset of like, you know, I'm allowed to change my mind, you yeah. know, and with more information, I'm allowed to believe something different now. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. I think that's great. One of my favorite things we've done probably about 50 of these interviews so far, and we ask a lot of the same questions and I mean, sometimes we do get similar answers, but we get so many different answers that I just love getting this huge spectrum of different experiences and different takes on people's experiences. I think it's amazing. Yeah. 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 And I love um, being in community where it feels safe. Yes. yes. Right. Because like you said, I mean, while we all share something, right, 
uh, being adopted, we still have had such different experiences and Mm -hmm. we've had different, you know, ways to cope and different ways to get around it. Um, And that's why like, I, I will say sometimes like, I think like being a therapist works well for me because I'm a great listener. Right. And this is something that I had to deal with, like growing up, like I'm a good listener. People will come to me. But as far as like working on my own stuff, like it's, you know, like putting yourself in the spot and reading this question is like, oh, wow, I have to tell people about my story. (laughs) Like, so that's why I was like, oh, like I I love being a therapist, but and I do have to also keep myself in check. I'm like, okay, but what am I not processing right now? Yeah. Right, as I like help others, I'm like, oh no, I gotta process my stuff too, you know? So that's why I love interviews like this. It's like a little bit of both. I get to share my stuff and like reflect um, on like, what's my journey been like, but also like share like my passion for mental health yeah. um, and how it definitely intersects. Well, I love it. I really loved learning from you and hearing your thoughts. Yeah. So valuable. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Open Adoption Project. We're so grateful for Maria again for her wisdom and experience and just for being so open and willing to share with us. Yes, we're always so grateful to hear from adoptees and are so happy that she was able to share what she's experienced and learned to help us hopefully improve adoptee experiences for others. One big takeaway for me is something that I learned from this episode was that when we're interacting with adoptees, often they may share that they were adopted and almost the gut reaction that our society has created is to say, oh, that's wonderful. Um, And when she shared that when people do that, that it makes it harder for you to talk about maybe harder or more difficult feelings that you might have around adoption. And so I think my my takeaway is that when I meet somebody who's adopted or I'm talking to somebody who's adopted rather than saying, oh, that's great or that's wonderful, asking them more like, oh, tell me more about your adoption or has that been has that been difficult or has that been hard? Anyway, opening the door for maybe acknowledging some of the harder feelings that might exist in adoption. I think that is really important. I think it's probably also important to just keep it more neutral and allow adoptees to share whatever experiences they have, not necessarily positive or negative, but just, yeah, yeah, making sure that's a safe space. Well, thanks again to Maria and thanks to each of you for being a listener to the Open Adoption Project. We have loved putting this podcast together over the last year and a half. And I I hope it's doing a lot for the adoption community, but I know it's doing a lot for me to grow and learn. Yeah, for me too. It's really kind of fun. We hit 18 months this week. Yeah, and this is episode 60. When we started, we never imagined that it would be like this or that we'd have so many downloads and so many listeners. So we're grateful that we get to connect with you. Please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or just visit our website at openadoptionproject.org. And we'd love to connect. Again, if you have any specific topics that you'd like us to cover, or if you know someone that you think would be great for us to connect with and interview and have them share their story and lessons learned, we'd love for you to connect with us. Again, you can get in touch with us via Instagram or at the website. There's a contact form. Thanks so much for listening.